Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Is my bald spot showing? You don't have a bald spot. We hit the jackpot, baby. I'm going to that Belgravia Hair Center. I saw an ad on the tube. You know, they've got the ads on the tube. Oh, my God. Maybe they would sponsor us. <laughs> it would be my dream. There would be so much passion and sincerity in my voice if I could advertise the Belgravia Hair Clinic. Here's my issue with the Belgravia Hair Clinic. If the treatment they were offering was as effective as they claim... Uh-huh we wouldn't know the name Belgravia Hair Clinic because there would be many places offering the same thing. I disagree with you. You think they're the Coca-Cola of hair loss? I think they're very exclusive. This is the issue. Like, you need to be loaded. Two questions for you, then. Go on. Number one, why are there still rich people with bald and thinning hair? Number two, if this place was that great, why aren't they relying on word of mouth from their very rich clientele rather than advertising to a load of plebs on the tube who will never be able to afford it? I think you're thinking about this wrong. I think all that matters <laughs> is that they have a lot of money that they can invest in their advertising campaign and they have that lots of money. And you don't think their business model is advertising this thing, which ultimately doesn't work any better or worse than anything else. People try it once and then never go back. So they I, need to keep advertising on the tube. I, I think you're being way too skeptical. But the point is this, is that if the good people at the Belgravia Hair Clinic, if they want to give me a free go at some of my issues near the front of my forehead, I will shill for them. <laughs> so I have something I want to ask you about. There is the a new and the last ever Beatles song. I don't think we should talk about how and why that has happened because I think you will lose control. <laughs> and anyone on this podcast who would care knows already. But the point is there's a new Beatles song out. Now, the other night you were like, "What so so what do you think?" which you know is my dreaded question about music. But then I realized that you're not, you don't care what I think. You're asking me a question because you want to share your own opinion. But, but I'm trying to engage you though, because you so often glaze over when I start talking. I don't think that that's true. It is true. Well, I don't know, then be more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel really bad about that because you, you only sometimes glaze over. I don't think I do. Well, you didn't marry an intellectual, and you know that. And sometimes you really want to talk about ideas and stuff, and I'm not into that. Gossip. <laughs> 
I want to talk about gossip, social gossip, neighborhood gossip. You're like not that into it, actually. I like a bit of gossip. I don't like mm-hmm. it when it just... I don't you don't like, like when I get too mean about people. Yes, I think um, there is a quote that I like, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's something that you practice. Go on. Scan not a friend with a microscopic glass. You know his faults. Now let the foibles pass. Very, very male-centric. <laughs> <laughs> what do I think is wrong about that? I, I'm sounding... No, I, I do probably need to find something wrong with everybody. But beyond that, I think I'm like... Nice. It's a quote from a Victorian eccentric called Sir Frank Crisp. Oh. Who built the house that George Harrison lived in. Any other Beatles stuff that you would like to share with no, people? Any do. feelings? Any questions no, 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 you I'm want done, to put I'm out done, to I'm people? I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Let's talk about our guest for this episode. Well, well, well. So straight up, the, the best thing we've seen since we started the podcast was a recommendation from Sarah Phelps, Mr. Inbetween. We loved it and watched the whole thing. Yes, we, th- we think it is like some of the best TV ever made. And later, we are talking to the director of every episode of that show, Nash Edgerton. I'm so thrilled for us and for the listeners. And he's kind of got movie star looks. He doesn't kind of have movie star looks. He has movie star looks. Which you don't expect for a director. It was very dramatic looking at him. It's just one of those faces that just makes me feel deeply inadequate. I prefer your glasses to his. (laughs) (laughs) I do. So this, this very handsome, accomplished, talented man makes me feel inadequate. And the best you can offer is I have better taste in spectacle frames, which, by the way, you chose. I did, but with your assistance. <laughs> but we were delighted to get to speak to him. Oh, we didn't have to fake anything, did we? No. He, we were so interested and he was so generous. So our guest later is Nash Edgerton. My quick watch this week. Bit of a wild card. I, in the mid-naughties, worked in a restaurant called Oto in New York City. I've had this sort of loose awareness that a film has come out about the celebrity chef who owned and ran the restaurant. It's called Mario Batali, Fall of a Superstar Chef, because in the wake of Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement, all these accusations came out about him and sexual harassment in the exact window of time that I was working at this company. Now, weird thing for British listeners is it's called Fall of a Superstar Chef and he's pretty much unknown here. Yes. But it's a weird thing because our celebrity chefs like Jamie Oliver, Nigella Lawson, Gordon Ramsay, mm-hmm. we, we tend to export them quite well. As a nation not known for culinary excellence, perhaps unfairly. However, it doesn't seem to work the other way. Yeah, that's right. So like Emeril Lagasse, Bobby Flay, nothing? No. Interesting. So he's he is one of the most famous chefs in America. He was at the time. And now this whole sort of story has broken out and there's a film about it. And I was like, I really want to watch this. I, for the life of me, cannot tell if it's an interesting film or not. <laughs> because you're too close to it. Because it was like getting to watch documentary footage from my own life. So my only experience, there was definitely some weird handsy shit, but I didn't feel that I was harassed by him. Like they called him Jabba the Hutt. Is it Java or Jabba? Jabba the Hutt. Jabba, the, like just this huge, greasy, handsy guy, like pulling women into him. And my my only thing was I, I remember him like coming to meet with the staff and he sat us all down and he's like, so first thing I want to say, you don't call me chef. You call me Mario. Like very 
man of the people, didn't know anyone's name ever, to the point that I found out he once referred to me as the waitress with the great ass. Now, again, for reasons that I think reflect well and poorly on me, I was completely untraumatized by that. It just made me feel good about myself. There's that low self-esteem again. There's that low self-esteem rearing its head. So does the restaurant you worked in feature in the documentary? Uh, no, they, they say the name, but the main restaurant, he was an investor in this place called The Spotted Pig. It was open really late. It was like in an old townhouse. So it had these different levels. And of course, the higher up you got, the more famous you were. Did you ever go there? Yes. And what was it like on the ground floor? Oh, my gosh. What we don't have time for, sadly, is the story of your spectacular firing from Mario Batali's restaurant. I was spectacularly fired. Maybe I could do it as one of my upcoming voice notes. I went down in flames so spectacularly that all of my coworkers, because I worked there for six years, which is like 30 years in restaurant years. And so all of my coworkers that morning were like, blaze of glory, motherfucker! (laughs) And, and when we started courting, which was a couple of years afterwards, we, we went to that restaurant because you wanted uh, you wanted to show it to me and you wanted me to eat there. And there were gasps when we walked in and a ripple of excitement went around the place that you dad showed your face there again. But there, I, I, I can't believe I did that. That wasn't good. I, I sort of shouldn't have done that. But it, it was two years later. It felt like I could maybe sneak in and sneak out. But no. The traitor. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, I'll end the way I started. I cannot just straight up recommend this because I I couldn't objectively perceive. It It is inarguably an important story that's being told. It's about so much. Like the way that inappropriate behavior is facilitated in the restaurant industry because booze are a part of it, because late hours are a part of it, is so insane. So whether or not you should watch it, I don't I don't know if it's interesting if you don't know Mario Batali. If you do, if the celeb chef world is of interest to you, it is fucking fascinating. And let me know what you thought about it, because I, I, I brought no objectivity to my own viewing. So for my quick watch this week, I watched something on YouTube. So gross. It does feel grimy in some way. I'm sure there's good stuff on there, but I feel like we are working here to establish a certain kind of taste. This was recommended to me on Twitter by Podcasting Royalty by James Harkin from No Such Thing as a Fish, who I like immensely. It is jet lag the game. You're rolling your eyes. Go on. And it's a reality format. It's three young men who... At first I thought, are they irritating? And then what I realised is I was just being a grumpy old man and that sometimes I can just perceive young people as irritating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a thing about how they sit sometimes that you're not so into. (laughs) They they sort of slump on each other. We were in Edinburgh um, in 2022 for the festival and we were like doing something the day with our son and we got to this one area and it was just like youths. Like they were on beanbag chairs and it was like, fucking pull your act together. They were doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. There were beanbags set out for people to sit on. But it looked like they all thought they were emperors or something waiting to be brought something. It's like they sit in public as if they would sit if they were living in a polyamorous commune. Yes, that's exactly (laughs) what it is. By the way, I tried this topic once as a stand-up idea, like a new material. I was like, all right, does anyone else get real annoyed when they see youths in (laughs) beanbags? Nothing. I 
<laughs> I would have been. The would. people did not relate to the concern. So what I think is, I am, even though I despise this quality, I think I'm just becoming one of those grumpy old people who roll their eyes at the youth. And I think that's a good thing to try not to be. But then I'm concerned that you're you're swinging too far the other way because you're going to be too forgiving because you're too untrusting of your own opinion. Let me tell you the idea. Okay. They're playing tag, but they're playing it across the continent of Europe. I, I have zero interest. I don't want to watch travel shows. Buddies are doing stuff around the globe. I don't care. So any given time, one of them is it and the other two are the chasers. The whole thing, as far as I could tell, is shot on their iPhones. Uh-huh. And they're getting on trains and they're following them on Find My iPhone. No, you're just, you're just not accepting I'm trying, this. And I, want, I feel like you, you need to just get the plot out and I'm sort of not letting you. But for me, you are describing a list of things that pushes me as a viewer away. I don't love competitions. I don't love travel shows. I don't love boys. They spent a lot of time looking at a pizza vending machine in France. Oh, okay. Can you believe such thing exists? Yes, there's one outside the Brighton um, train terminal. Because what it didn't look like is, you know, you used to get microwave pizzas. Yes, yes, yes. Didn't didn't look like those. It looked like they've got refrigerated real pizzas mm-hmm. in the back there somehow. And then there's a very powerful pizza oven oh that they're transferred into. God. And then they come out of a slot in a box. That is phenomenal. And it looks like a semi-decent pizza. I'm so intrigued as to what is firing the pizza oven in the vending machine. So it can't be wood. Firing the pizza oven. Because I'm more likely to go into a pizza restaurant if it says wood-fired oven on the outside. (laughs) But could I tell the difference between a pizza that's been heated in an oven with wood or one that's been heated with gas? I don't think so. I actually bet that you could. Also, I want everyone to understand as Jeff is going deep on the pizza, this is how I glaze over sometimes. (laughs) Like, I think... I think this pizza thing, which is interesting, but this is the exact kind of stuff that you like to go deep on, whereas I I just circle around the tertiary level. Does tertiary mean top? I think so. I think it means third. But is the source of the heat tangible when you're tasting a pizza? Generally, I think you can taste wood. Do you feel holistically, is this show for grown-ups? I don't know. And part of the reason I don't know is I showed it to our seven-year-old son last night to try and gauge his reaction and he loved it. He couldn't take his eyes off of it. Exactly. And this is, there's something about if a child can't take its eyes off something, it means it is not for me. But to find a silver lining, we did have that email the other week where someone said, what can I watch with my kid? Maybe it's this. Maybe this lives in that Taskmaster world where it's something you could watch as a family. As ever, we'd love to hear from you. Have you ever seen any bit of your life in a documentary? These are so good, Jeff. Also, are you like me? Do you feel slightly grubby if you watch a full show on YouTube? And then following on from that, is there a hierarchy of viewing platforms? Yes. How do you rank them in your head? So iPlayer. iPlayer, HBO feels... Yeah, um, Apple TV Plus feels classy doesn't to me not since the morning show <laughs> i'm not kidding that was a pile of shit to me it's like i player and anything hboe yeah and then it's like amazon prime netflix disney plus all of that is kind of much of a much but is netflix classier than amazon prime or is it the other way around i think it's starting to i don't you think know. it's starting I, to flip i think things are leveling off because you have these hierarchies of channels in mm-hmm, your head mm-hmm. and do they get frozen uh-huh and then you age You've got to kind of embrace while slightly resisting. <gasps> that's, excuse me, that's like a brilliant. 
brilliant advice. Let us know what you're embracing and resisting. Give us your recommendations, please. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. It's been a big week for us here at the old pod. I am now the one in charge of our extended interviews. And I was editing it thinking, who is this of interest to? Like, I don't mean it in a cunty way, but like, who would this be for and who is this not for? And I was thinking, my God, if you are interested in writing, listening to them talk about the process of writing is incredibly interesting. And I think that's what we cut a lot. Plus some gossip, 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 gossip writing, 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 is sort of the bulk of these um, these interviews. So for three pounds a month, you get access to them. I think it's a whole new podcast, three pounds a month. That's just for everyone just out there along with our list every week, a list of every show that gets mentioned on the podcast right there waiting for you so you can just look at it. Three pounds a month. I bought you a scone this morning across the road. It was fucking four pounds 50. So how much those scones the, Those are? scones are fucking- They're very good though. They're, they're unbelievable, yeah, yeah. but four pounds 50 for three pounds. Everything I'm describing. For 66.6% the price of a scone. A very high-end Stoke Newington scone. You can get all this. Patreon.com slash they like to watch. And coming up later, our guest is Nash Edgerton, director of the brilliant Mr. In Between, also a stuntman. It's too close to people who like hurting themselves for me. I'm never that interested Self -punishment. in Self-punishment. It's it's adjacent and I'm uninterested, like boxing and, and uh MMA and shit. Nope. What about stage fighting though, where you're not actually being hit? Oh my god, I took a stage fighting course when I was at drama school and I can do a stage slap. Do you want to see? Yeah. Okay. Ow! <laughs> stage combat. <laughs> stage combat makes me feel so embarrassed for everybody. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. I love a play. I love a play. But like, give me, you know, some people who don't like musicals will talk about how much they hate when people break out into song. And I, I can't relate to that at all. I'm just like, you don't like it. There's nothing more joyous that can happen. What are you talking about? That's how I feel if there's ever stage combat. And I'm not talking like we're in a Shakespeare play. Th that is also uncomfortable. But I'm talking like if if characters have to wrestle with each other, like a, a brawl. Oh, kill me now. It makes me feel so uncomfortable. I'm like, why did I spend money on this ticket? Get me on my sofa in front of a television show that I'll be comfortable with. Our guest coming up later, Nash Edgerton. This week, we watched the second series of Time. Now, the first series of Time, it was starring Sean Beam and our guy. Sean Beam. Is it Sean Bean? Bean, yes. And Stephen Graham. And I, my memory of it was that it was spectacular. Generally, I will not watch shit set in a prison. You really like justice. You just don't like the prison system. Yeah, show me a law system. Put me in the courtroom. But this kind of like deep dive into what it really looks like once you're in, it's so painful for me. So it's written by Jimmy McGovern. And for this second series, he's found a co-writer in Helen Black. You see three women all being admitted to prison on the same day. Played by Jodie Whittaker, Bella Ramsey and Tamara Lawrence. One of the first things I asked you as we were watching it is, 
whether you had my phone number memorized <laughs> just in case you were ever <laughs> in so prison. Basically, in the, you know, and as always, no spoilers, no spoilers. But in, you know, some of the early stuff is like, who is your emergency contact? You're off to prison. And you had such a str- like, th- like with he, you weren't trying to be funny. You said, no, no, I had to a- pause the program to make sure that you had my phone number committed to memory. And it really was revealing that you think I run that kind of risk of going to prison. <laughs> and I wasn't defended because I feel like I do. <laughs> I'm just a little sneaky bitch. And I think you are concerned about me doing prison time. First day in prison. Do you take the top bunk or the bottom bunk? I am fine. Like, first of all, I don't enjoy this conversation at all. Like, I felt sick when you just said first day in prison. So I just want to get that out there. Top bunk, bottom bunk, bottom bunk, always. I pee constantly. Also, I kind of derisively said, oh, you'd do well with a cellmate. And you surprised me by saying you would prefer to have a roommate in prison. Well, this is what's interesting is we think of me as like needing all this space. And there's something very true about that. But also, I wasn't that person you and our son have chipped away at me across 13 years, (laughs) 13 years and seven. And so I think robbed of my family in this much harsher environment, I imagine that the companionship and the sense of a buddy would be good. So on the one hand, discussing prison just like fills me with fear and makes me feel sick. On the other hand, I feel like if, if what I could do with my prison time was exercise and learn, I could kind of be into it. I don't think there's a guarantee that those are the only things that are going to happen to you in prison. Oh, of course not. I mean, I don't want to be attacked. There's like all this shit that I don't want. But I'm just saying, because you also see like a lot of prison men have very nice physiques. So maybe I'd get like prison ripped. Also, I don't think of you as somebody who's particularly good with crafts and making things. So I, I don't know that you'd be able to make a shiv. No, I think I could make a shiv. I don't know. I've seen some of the homework projects you've attempted with our son and I just don't yeah. know if it's in your but wheelhouse. That's what I'm saying is, is if there's an artfulness, I've never been able to do that. But I think I could make a weapon. And um, if I was working in the kitchen, I, serving up lunch, I think I, I could enjoy vats of things. Going to other vats, I'd be working my upper body strength, which was all part of my physique regime. <laughs> Pouring a big pan of gruel into it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I can see myself like doing gruel-related things. <laughs> or um... I, I think if, if you were doing gruel-related things, you might run into an issue with some of the prisoners with your undersalting. No, but I would no. This would be part of how I would relate to people. As I'd be like, I want to really get to know your palate, and I'm going to cater to you. But you can't do that with a vat. No, but I would come round with a salt and pepper shaker. <laughs> You know, like sommelier. like a waiter in an Italian yeah. restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a waiter in it, and people would just be like, you know what? I'm happy that Sarah is here in this prison with me because I feel a little bit more humanized. That pepper mill seems to me like it could be used as a weapon. What I don't understand is like, are there there prisons for violent offenders and prisons for nonviolent offenders? I think there is to some extent, but I think what we see in this is the variety of the prisoner who serve time alongside each other is much broader than you would expect. I wonder if that's true in America as well. You're thinking of Tom Wamsgams and his prison consultant. Yeah. And prisons are never mixed. No, you don't get to be a lady near a dude. So there'd be no chance of you going to prison alongside Sam Bankman-Fried. Oh my God, are you guys across Sam Bankman-Fried? Sarah is obsessed. Okay, so once in a while, I get, it's, it's very occasional, I get these like weird obsessions. So in somewhat recent history, I've been obsessed with Mount Everest. I love Mount Everest the way I love opioid crisis. Sam Bakeman-Fried 
He's like a crypto trader. He was, I don't know if he's the youngest billionaire, but he became a billionaire the fastest or something. And now he's being indicted and he's going to prison and it's a whole thing. You interviewed the author, Michael Lewis. So basically this book about Sam Bankman-Fried wound up in our house and I read it and I became fucking obsessed. And he's now basically all I think about. I read the book. I'm now listening to the podcast every day. The trial is over. He's guilty, but that's not what it's about. What I would say to you is if you like couples therapy, you'll love the saga of Sam Bankman-Fried because it's about getting to analyze a person and his conciliaries and other people's response. What? I just love the use of the word conciliaries. They're his conciliaries. Would you consider doing a live show and people ask you questions about Sam Bankman-Fried? Yes, I'm so ready for that. Or Mount Everest. Or Jesse Armstrong. Could those be my three topics? Yes. It's like I assemble a crew and you're allowed to ask questions about Sam Bankman-Fried, Jesse Armstrong, Mount Everest. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so satisfying to me. Just And it's what I think about things. It's just all my opinions. <laughs> now, until this show, I knew Jodie Whittaker and Bella Ramsey. Yeah. Tamara Lawrence was less familiar with. I think... She's done a lot of theatre. I think she's quite an esteemed theatre actor. She was stunning. And a thing I thought generally about those three women is that they have phenomenal chemistry. And I really went on a ride with Bella Ramsey. It starts and she comes in and she's sort of, she is on drugs. And I looked at Jeff and I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to make it through this because I thought it was so, so poorly done. But once she's clean... I thought she was good. Sometimes people get so good. It's that there's something that they're doing on screen that is so sympathetic that like they almost can't say anything without me feeling I'm about to start sobbing. And I noticed that about her. So this show really took me on a journey. I I get it. I see the talent. Bella Ramsey's character, I'm being careful here not to reveal plot points, has a boyfriend on the outside. Hot as Shit. If I was doing time, would you wait for me? I don't know. I mean, what what are you in prison for? Like, have you killed someone? Maybe I was visiting Paris and I accidentally <laughs> dropped something off the Eiffel Tower. Oh, God. And that, like, killed yes. someone. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, fine. It could happen to any of us <laughs> <laughs> on the Eiffel Tower. Um. So, you're going to be in prison. What's my voluntary manslaughter? Like, eight years or something? Yeah. Okay. I would become hopeful that the prison lifestyle, instead of breaking you, I would I would swing wildly between thinking this will be the fucking making of this man and like, <laughs> he'll die in prison. So what am I waiting for? What do you think I would benefit from the routine and the yeah, first I would, exercise? Yeah, th- this is what I'm saying is I'm like, he's listen, he's going to get more exercise. And then once in a while, I'd show up to visiting hours, like in a huff about my commute to get to the prison. <laughs> and we'd have to like spend it being like, can I just say I was stuck in really bad traffic or whatever? I guess I learned to drive because these prisons, I'm not going to be able to get to them on the trains. They're um, not well served by public transport. No. So I'd have to like get a car and whatever and then I'd be annoyed at you about that I guess I would take a lover um I just don't understand how I meet anybody I'd be I, it would be like I had a scarlet letter on me because I'd be the lady whose husband was in prison so I'd be shamed and and I wouldn't feel ashamed I I would feel you always think I'm not on your side I'd be like he just threw something off the Eiffel I Tower didn't throw it. it fell out something of my hand just fell out of his hand on the Eiffel Tower I would defend your honor but I just don't think to be honest with you I would like to be able to take a lover I think it could be good for us. How would it be good for me? 
You're not the only one in this situation. No, but I'm 50% of the people in the situation. Well, I'm not the one who accidentally dropped something off the Eiffel Tower. So it was an accident. It doesn't matter. It's, it's enough of an accident that, you know, intention is a lot, but not everything. You're always knocking stuff over. But I wouldn't knock stuff over the Eiffel Tower. Tamara Lawrence's character uh, is, is carrying a secret. The mm-hmm. secret of what she's in for. Mm-hmm. One of the other prisoners knows. Mm-hmm. So she has to threaten her. Yes. How do you think you would do if you had a piece of gossip, but you were also fearing for your life? I I don't know. It could go either way with you. It's an interesting thought experiment. If I could potentially die (laughs) or be like horribly beaten, how would that work against my need to spread gossip? You you like to help a rumor make its way around the world, don't you? Yes, I like, I have knocked on people's doors, literally, and been like, I have like some really good gossip. I think it might be unsubstantiated, but if you just want to spread it around, it is so satisfying. I did that last week because I feel like the person who I'm damaging is fine. They don't fucking deserve better treatment than I'm giving them. And it's just so fun for the community. <laughs> can I can I say a positive thing about it? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been saying a lot. Of, it's it's unbelievable. You have to watch it. I don't know if we've been clear about that. This is wonderful. I went in terrified, but it is so well done and so well paced, and everything about it is so fine that um, I think at one point I was like, no, 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 let's let's do another one like right now. Like I know we should maybe go upstairs, but I need to watch another. But then there was a point in one episode where I was like, I'm out. So as of the time of recording, we haven't watched maybe three quarters of the third episode. And I, I haven't returned because I'm like, I just, it's it's never quite the right moment to re-enter the story at that tragedy point. But it's unbelievable television, right? Have you watched Time? Let us know what you thought. Also, any good prison recommendations? I quite enjoyed Prison Break when it first started, but it became so ridiculous that it went from being a gang of hardened criminals to a gang of criminals on the run to a gang of criminals enlisted by the US government to help them solve crimes. What <laughs> it was really, there? I don't know. I mean, some stuff happened, then they rebooted it. I, never, I think I stopped watching it during the second series. Um, but you, you quite liked Orange is the New Black. Did I? Initially. It was. It felt like it was the best thing on at the time. Mm. Trying to think of other good depictions of prison life. Of course, Shawshank Redemption, Cool Hand Luke, Escape from Alcatraz, Paddington 2. Paddington 2. That is a miscarriage. That shows you everything that's broken with the justice system. I think you've based your impression on how you would do in prison in the kitchen, largely on Paddington's experience. Oh, was he cooking a lot? The little like bear with his big... Yeah. Oh, he, of course he makes all his marmalade. Yeah. Kermit really turns things around in that gulag in Muppets Most Wanted. Fucking ex- that's another... I don't like that movie that much because I don't like being at the gulag. <laughs> it's very funny when they do the Broadway number at the gulag. Thanks to um, Jemaine. But email us. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. And coming up next, director of every episode of our favourite show that we have discovered, thanks to Sarah Phelps, since we started this podcast. Nash Edgerton talks Mr. In-Between. How exciting. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. We came to Mr. In-Between sort of late in the game, which it seems now a lot of people are doing, at least over here in the UK. Is that just, does that just I think feel, that's the case everywhere. Is that the case in Australia as well? Has there been that same kind of I thing think so. there? I think so. Like it's, it's like people suddenly discover it and watch it like within the space of three days or a week and then they're preaching it to everyone else and then, you know, people are catching up. It's been this slow burn type thing. Does the slow burn of it, is that kind of like wonderful and gratifying or is it, does it feel like too little too late here, people? Look, anyone who discovers it and loves it is, you know, brings me joy. Um, You know, I think one, it's the nature of how people consume television now. So people can, you know, put it on their list and get to it when they're ready. But, you know, as much as that's uh, frustrating that they don't discover it when it first comes out. There is also a great thing that the show seems to have a life that will continue because people who discover it, you know, what now two years after it com- it was finished, are just as excited about it as people who saw it when it first came out. Yeah, but what what did that feel like in like 2018, 2019? Surely you feel like we have made this thing that is something else. Why aren't people catching on to it? Well, look for me, you gotta understand. I've been trying to make this show with Scott since 2006. Jesus. You know, and in that format of a half hour drama, back before there were streamers and. We couldn't get anyone to um, get into it. Um, no one wanted me to cast him because he wasn't a known actor. Um, people didn't get the show. Um, I would pitch it and I'd come close to making it at certain places, but then, you know, they wouldn't guarantee Scott could star in it or they wouldn't guarantee I could direct it. And I would just like, well, that's that's a no deal for me. Wow. Um, I mean, in some ways this is inspiring because yeah. it's 10 years 
of trying to get something mm. made before it happens. In in some other ways, though, you're giving people the message that they shouldn't give up on something when, when sometimes, sometimes people <laughs> yeah. should just give up on it. Look, I'm definitely that person. I don't give up, but there was definitely a validation in that when it did come out and people did start to pay attention to it. And just to give you a sense of the time, how long it took, Ray in the scripts always had an eight-year-old daughter when the show started. My daughter Chica plays Brittany in the show and she was not born when we started trying to make the show. So there was no, like it was never written with her in mind, but the show is better for it in that a lot of her stuff is based on me and her. Like the Santa Claus scene is how I told her Santa Claus wasn't real. I I accidentally killed off the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy um, <laughs> because I'm a terrible liar and she could just read <laughs> my face <laughs> that I, you know, all the swear jar stuff she was doing to my friends. She was extorting my friends for money and, you know, to the point we did shoot a scene which uh, we cut out where Uncle Bruce offers her a, a lump sum to be able to talk, to swear freely because I had a friend who would come around and say, hey, Chica, how about if I give you 20 bucks tonight and I can just talk to you? <laughs> That's so interesting because um, I'm embarrassed to admit to you, but just to be candid, I didn't know that that actor was your daughter. You're so lucky, if I may say, that it turned out that she mm. had the chops, not just to play the role when she was young, but as the show went on. I had no intention of casting her, like... You know, I auditioned maybe 60 kids or more. And my wife, Carla, was like, why don't you try Chica? And I said, because uh, she's never acted before. And if she's no good, I'm not going to cast her. And then I've rejected her. <laughs> um, and she's like, well, you don't like anyone else you've seen. So then I had a conversation with her and I said, there's a character your age and would you like to try out for it? And she said, what if you don't cast me? And I said, well, it's not just up to me, but I think it'd be a good opportunity and, you know, just fun to try. Um, I didn't go to the audition. She went and saw, you know, Kirsty McGregor who cast the show. And I called Kirsty after her audition. I said, how did she do? And she said, oh, she was pretty awesome. And I'm like, awesome, like I can cast her awesome? And she's like, oh, yeah, you can cast her. And I'm like, okay. So I had a look and, I was, you know, she was very good. And, and I'm like, well, hang on for a second. Like, how am I directing her? Like, she won't clean a room when I ask her. <laughs> uh-huh. I never learned to drive because my dad was a driving instructor. So how, how are you? They have a healthier emotional dynamic <laughs> than you have. Than most people <laughs> well, do. Well, so then I, then I was like, I didn't want people thinking I'd cast her because she was my kid. I didn't tell anyone on the crew that she was my daughter. You know, she has a different surname to me because uh, she's my stepdaughter. She's been living with me since she was three. And so like day one, she's just like was amazing. And I was doing that thing where directors go, okay, that was great. Let's do one more. And you know, you're like, okay, cut. That was great. Let's do one more. And she's like, how many one more is this going to be? You said one more like 10 times now. <laughs> and then all the crew's like, why like, is this little lady is this so diva? mouthy with our Yeah, this, they're like, director. where did you find this kid? This kid's amazing. They love that the kids just talking back to me. And <laughs> I became so proud of her. If this show, if Mr. In Between was anything less than a 10 out of 10, I'd be listening to this anecdote being like, dude, you can't cast your kid in something. Oh, yeah. It's not a totally, good idea. Right? But she was very, very, very good. And is she still acting? Uh, not really. Like, you know, I think she, 
she just wants to be a kid, you know, like she gets offered stuff. She did play a role in Peter Rabbit 2, um, but I would totally cast her again. And, you know, look, Scott, she was one of his favourite people to do scenes with. So you, you can feel that whenever they're on screen together. They have such great rapport. It was something interesting because, you know, Scott had not been on a film set before either. And I think he enjoyed doing scenes with her so much that he just wrote more scenes for her in the subsequent seasons, you know, and I would tell other anecdotes of things that were happening with, you know, me and her, like how I told her babies were made. And when she found your but, gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Can I ask, but, was the walking in on the actual sex scene, was that a real-life situation as well? No, that was added for a comedic, comedic effect for the show. Yeah. But okay. the, but the conversation, her saying, you know, I came from my dad's balls, um, you know, which then became I came from your balls, that was definitely came out of her mouth. My wife and I lost it when um, she said that. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, my my understanding, having done my Googlings about Scott Ryan, is these like quite this like legit kind of enigma recluse something. Can you talk a little bit about any ways in which that manifests working together? Look, I don't know if you know much of the history, how the show came about. I saw a, a short film at a film festival in 2004 called The Magician. Yeah. And it was basically Scott doing that character in the form of a mockumentary. And I just thought it was amazing. And I I went up to him. That's where I first met him. I'd met him for like 20 minutes. And I said, you know, can I get a copy of that? And he handed me a DVD and he said, look, this it's a feature film. And I've been trying to get interest in it. And the premise of the film is... It's a um, an Italian film student neighbor here is making a documentary about this hitman, and so I call, I called him the next day after we watched it, and I said, "Look, I think it needs to be re-edited." Fly up to Sydney, come stay with me, and we'll cut the film. And I thought it would take me two weeks, and it probably took me two or three months. And so, yeah, we recut it, got a distributor, got some finance from the Australian Film Commission, and it played festivals and had a bit of a cult following back when it came out in two thousand five, and then. Soon after that, Scott, you know, had this idea to take the character in, you know, in a TV format and we started developing that and we had scripts ready to go back in 2008 and just no one, no one would finance it. After you'd met um, Scott for just like a brief mm. 20 minutes and then you like invite him to your home. I'm like, I cannot, the idea of my parents staying in my house with me makes me insane. The idea that yeah. you could like say to a virtual stranger come to my house and hang out for a couple of weeks while we edit film together. Seems like yeah. the most revealing aspect of your personality that we've received so far. <laughs> like, how do you do it? You wake up in the morning and there's a semi-stranger in your house. Is it yeah, your, but it your... wasn't two weeks. It was like two and a half months. And what do you, is it just your love language is like film, so you can find a way to talk to anybody if it's going to be about the work? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It was a strange time, you know, because at the time, another friend of mine came to stay who I did know better, you know, and he... He lived there and then his girlfriend. And at one stage in my apartment, there was like five people. Oh, my God. tiny apartment while I'm trying to cut the film. But, you know, look, I was just obsessed with the film. And whatever it takes. Yeah. And, and, and are, you buying, it takes, you know? are you buying groceries for everybody? Or is it like living in a student flat and everybody's got stickers no, on their I milk? Think, I don't know. We were eating at the cheap Thai restaurant downstairs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wasn't also cooking for everybody. <laughs> 
But I do remember clearly a friend came around and she's like, your apartment smells funny. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I was like, there's too many people in here or something. And I had to, then I was like, okay, some people have to move out. I do feel um, it's part of Australian but, culture to be able to sofa surf, though, um, having met yeah, many yeah, Aussies sure. in London over the years. Did you ever do the London Earl's Court thing? No, I did. Yeah, I did what me and my brother call taking a shot at the title where Australian filmmakers and actors go to LA and hang out. How, how often do people not quite know what to make of you? As Australians? Yeah, in LA. A lot of time they don't get the sarcasm or the, the dry humour, but there's so many Aussies everywhere now. <laughs> We're like a plague. We've been saying recently, and I don't know how ignorant it does or doesn't make us look, but it's like so much of the stuff that we've been like, this is legitimately good, is Australian mm. television. Is the world just waking up to what Australia can do television-wise, or has the quality shifted in terms of what the country is putting out? Look, there's still definitely bad stuff being made here too. I think just the nature of streaming services and the way people get access to shows now is suddenly different. Um, the thing that you know I've been excited by as an Australian is starting to see Australian characters in foreign shows that aren't just a cliche. You know, like when White Lotus, the first season came out and there was the guy, you know. Um, the guy who ran the hotel. Murray Bartlett. Murray, of course, Murray. Um, Murray's performance in that, like, he, he just plays an Australian out in the world and it's never, like, explained why he's there. And he was so great in it. I was like, all oh, right, finally, we've broken through that barrier. You know, and that was what was great about FX taking on Mr. In Between. They never asked us to, you know, Americanize it, change anything. It was always, like, it could be in its authentic voice did you hear that story about i think it was the australian culture secretary at the time going to the premiere of um crocodile dundee with whoever the ambassador would have been in the 80s and and when the film finished just turning to them and said well that's 10 years of hard work down the drain then <laughs> <laughs> how australia is represented um, you've had this interesting career in that you've directed writing acting and st stunts as yes. well i still do stunts you still like, do stunts yeah like you know not as often as i did when i was younger but you know like i you know in season two i play ali's brother and i go through the window i don't understand how people get into stunt person work like what's the thing from another job where you're like oh wait what's wrong I'll... With... <laughs> yeah what's wrong with you like mentally what what mistakes did your parents make <laughs> that you thought i'm gonna oh, hurt look, I'm my still, body i'm sure they're still money. trying to I'm sure my parents are still trying to work that out. Um, look, I don't know. I got the idea when I was 18 and looked up stunt in the phone book. And then what, you do a course? It was like an old-fashioned apprenticeship. What did your mum say when you told her? I think she cried for about three months. God, I would, I mean, that's a horrible, horrible thing to do to a parent. Yeah, look, what's, <laughs> what's the most painful yeah. thing you think you've put your parents through in the world of stunts, I mean, maybe not other aspects of your life. After I'd been doing stunts for about 10 years, I was doubling Ewan McGregor on the Star Wars prequels. And I thought, I should let my mum come watch me work one time. Oh, my God. You know? oh, yeah. And so she came when I was doing this fight scene. I was fighting Django Fett on this space landing platform. Anyway, there was an accident and I was doing a backflip off this uh, other stunt guy's shoulders who was in the Django Fett suit and... <laughs> It was in torrential rain and I'm in the full Jedi gear with the knee-high boots and everything. And I landed on my head and shattered my teeth and nearly broke my neck. Oh. And, uh, and uh, 
And then I realized my mom is there. <laughs> and I like, lift up my Jedi hood and I look through the crew and, and through the rain and my mom is just there like holding her neck, staring at me like with this shocked look on her face. And I, I stood up and I'm like, I'm okay, mom. You can go home now. Oh. And I just watched my mom walk out of the stage. And the moment the stage door closed, I just turned everyone. And I'm like, okay, I'm really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and then, you know, ambulance and neck brace and whatnot, and off to hospital. A couple more quick questions before we let you go. Mm-hmm. What is your working relationship with Scott like these days? Scott, he kind of just sort of disappears once <laughs> you make the show, right? You know, like he's quite a unique character. He lives in another state. I don't hang out with him. But there's something about us together that works. You have to let us all dare to dream that you're going to do another thing together at some point. Yeah, I don't know. Anything can happen, you know. Like I know people want more of the show. I think for him, like, that's the only character he's ever played. Wow. I'm also a believer of, you know, you don't want things to outstay their welcome and like it feels complete to me but you know look i'm not saying i'm not saying i need never i mean i would love but i'm not even saying more ray shoesmith i'm saying whole new thing the two of you yeah new character another 15 years i'll wait and then you i just want to (laughs) know that it's starting to cook now also just to say it i thought it ended so exquisitely how did you approach it i feel like i only got the idea the night before how we were gonna end it you know like we always had the scene, but I suggested to Scott the look at the end and he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, let's just try it. And the moment he saw it, he's like, oh yeah, I get what you're saying. Because my my whole theory was, I just noticed everyone really responded to the smile, you know, like what it meant. And one of the reasons I wanted to cast Scott is it needed to be an unknown actor because then you had no preconceived notion of what this guy was capable of. And it needed to feel like he could be your neighbour. He could be the guy sitting next to you at the game. Yeah, I've been looking at people on public transport and thinking, I wonder if you're a hitman. Yeah. And, you know, his daughter's getting bullied at school and he goes and sees the mum. And the way she talks to him, as an audience, you're going, you don't know who you're talking to. And the audience gets to know, like, just the way he looks at them and the smile could mean certain things, you know. And so my theory was... By the end, the audience is so aware what the smile means. Mm-hmm. They're like, we know what you're going to do. Um, will you tell mm. us what you're watching at the moment or what should we be watching at the moment? Uh, did you ever see a show called Brand New Cherry Flavor? Never no. heard of it. It was on Netflix. It's set in the 90s. And the premise is this young filmmaker makes this horror film, a short film. And the, the producer screws her over. And she meets this older lady played by Catherine Keener. And Catherine Keener's like, we should put a curse on him. And that's kind of where it Right, right. Okay. Did you ever see an Australian film called Nitram? Nitram? No. N-I-T-R-A-M. Oh, it's so, so great. Nitram is about the only sort of mass shooting that happened in Australia before all the guns were recalled. It's like one of the greatest films I've seen about mental health. And it's such a great character study. Oh, brilliant. I'll put that down we'll as well. That. Can I just ask you, if somebody pointed a gun at you, as happens in the show, and says, uh, right, dig your own grave, would, yeah. w- would you bother? Or would you just let them shoot you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, it's funny. Uh I guess, look, everyone goes into self-preservation mode, so you want to make... You just prolong it just in case something's going to happen. You want to live as long as possible. 
Ash Edgerton. Do you feel that we have come any closer to unravelling the enigma that is Scott Ryan, his collaborator on Mr. In Between? I want to say that we have. I feel like the the stuff that Nash said in ter- about Scott was sort of reinforcing the stuff you kind of smell and hope is true. So it was like a confirmation of a vision of a genius that you want. It felt like a genuine privilege to get insight into the origin story of it, the execution of it with someone so intimately tied to it. To the inbox, let's go. Our first email today... Oh, she's zipping up a fleece. Um, zipping up my fleece. I've been looking for good fleeces, and I've looked on Vinted, which is a new thing I'm trying. <laughs> it's going badly. The fleece you're wearing today is an old one of mine that I can't quite remember how I acquired, but it looks like something you'd wear whilst coaching an under-8s football team. Oh, I think I look cool. And it has the word Ursmo on it, which is a very small town about 45 minutes south of Stockholm. You don't think I look cool in this? You do look cool. Well, that's not what, like, coaching looks like or whatever. Eh. Ted Lasso's very popular. That's true. Back to the inbox. This first email is from Matt Flynn. I, re- I remember, Matt, of course, I remember your name from back in our session days. Matt writes, hola, hola, Matt. I'm sure a thousand people have told you this by now, but Dark Winds, beloved of Kate McCartney. And Kate McCartney is beloved of us. Yeah, well, beloved by us. Oh, prepositions. Anyway, it's on Alibi and it's fucking excellent. What did you expect? Okay, that's interesting. This is another vote counted for Dark Winds. Also, you have to watch Slow Horses Look. Did we wind up talking about our, our start with Fall No, but I, I want to go back to it. Here's, here's Slow what Horses, happened. Here's what, we, here's what happened with that show. What? We were both put off by the name. Yeah, we don't like the name. And we discussed this at some length in the past. Mm-hmm. We watched an episode and I just don't think we were in the right frame of mind. We weren't in the right mood because so many people I respect who have similar tastes say this is a show for me so even if you're not coming in with me i'm going in for slow horses because season three is coming soon okay so matt i was gonna say that i feel like it's not gonna happen but jeff has a little bit more appetite so he'll he'll give it a go matt finishes one day i'll tell you what put the poison in it happened in 1977 when i was eight and i still can't talk about it It made me sick just now checking the date. Love, Matt, a.k.a. from our succession days, close proximity bang. Matt, don't fuck with me. Give it to me. You can handle it. I I have all the respect for the poison. I'm not saying don't be such like a pussy. I'm just saying I so respect your pain and your trauma, but I really want to know what got to you in this way because whatever I might look at from 1977, it won't disturb me. It's going to feel too old. And I, I love watching this old shit and knowing that it destroyed humans. <laughs> so nice to hear from you again. I'm so flattered you're still on board, but please give it to me just privately. This comes from Leela who says, Hi, FC and NC. On your advice, I googled Jeremy Allen White running. Good girl. Now, this wasn't my advice. No, of course, it was mine. Not my vibe, but thanks. Fascinating. When you put into Google Jeremy Allen White, one of the first AI-suggested searches is Jeremy Allen White, Gene Wilder. (laughs) I strongly advise you to search that. It may ruin your crush, Sarah, but there is no doubt they're related. Now, I did as I was told. 
And it did not ruin my crush. I just, I think the vibe is is so different. I couldn't kill it. Leela continues, also, we have two kids, nine and six. We have enjoyed, as a family, a few things which you could try with your kid. The Last Airbender. Amazing animation. Okay. I don't know what that is. I don't know, but everyone with kids, listen, because we don't get a lot of this. And a series of unfortunate events. Wes Anderson-style adaptation of the book, so brilliant, and some epic cameos. I always have an idea of the type of stuff I'd like to watch with our son, but there are certain things that he just won't even consider. Like, I'd love to try him on a Studio Ghibli film. I don't know what that is. You know, like Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away and all that stuff. He won't watch anything that I would like to watch with him because I, you know, I haven't put in the work. (laughs) Anyway, Leela, thank you. And just a reminder to people, I think more of you have good recs for shit you enjoy watching with your children. And we've just not been pumping that hard enough. So here we go. Push it. Push it real good. Come to us with those recs. Okay? Okay. This last email comes from Marcha. Hi, FNN. A couple of things I thought I would report on. My husband and I recently watched all 10 seasons of Spooks. It jumps the shark a few times, but it's entertaining throughout. I love anything about spy tradecraft and the amazing cast of every British actor you know with a special shout out to the wonderful and underrated Peter Firth. I'm going to have to Google Peter Firth. That's interesting. Jeff does not know that person by name. But I wonder if when I see the face, I'll go, oh, that guy. Let's have a look. Oh, that guy. Show me. Show me, show me, show me. Vaguely. So, she continues, I was wondering what old shows you'd come very late to that you enjoyed. I feel like if I could find the space, the American office would become this thing for me. From what I can see, it's excellent comic performances and really well written but i think it might have a bit of sentiment in it okay although you do better with that than i do you're hanging on in there with better things i just just love the environment so much but it's very sentimental i I mean not like a hallmark movie but yeah how about what have you ever what's the latest you've come to something and gone oh my god i didn't get into seinfeld until it went off the air we've said this before i i finally i've always Loved listening to Seinfeld talk about stand-up, but I could never, like, fully obsess about the sitcom, and that has happened to me now, what, like, 30 years after the fact? Yeah, 20-some. I like asking people about this. I think this is a good question. What have you come to really late? This is good. I'd like to hear from people about this. Yeah, let us know yours. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. Okay, Marcia continues... Also, I wanted to mention the genre of family sitcoms without laughs, if you see what I mean. I do. One older and excellent example is the slow burn with fantastic payoff that was Mom. Now, that is the example that comes to mind. I have spoken before about shows that sort of visually look too British. And that was one. And Friday Night Dinners was also one. These are extremely well thought of shows, but the visual presentation takes me out, doesn't bring me in. Interestingly, though, Mom was by the guy who wrote Him and Her. I know. And you really enjoyed that. Yes. And then he also did that show Marriage. Have we ever spoken about marriage on oh, this that's show? Fantastic, isn't Wait, it? Wait, what's yeah. that guy's name? Steven. And then the name is, what is his surname? Stefan. Stefan Golazowski, I think his name is. He did this show with Sean beam bean and it was it was like a few episodes and it was insane that's interesting that we haven't 
that this is the first time that we've thought about that show since doing this podcast and that no one has mentioned it because it was really good. Yeah, it was excellent. He's like a gene, you know, he's like a real genius and stuff. Oh, maybe I should try mum again. I remember trying to show you Rob Brydon's thing, Marion and Jeff. Oh, yeah, which, that was a disaster for me. Which I, I think is heartbreaking, but really funny and such a well-drawn character. But you... You you couldn't get on board with it. I wonder if I've changed. I wonder if like I've lived here a little bit longer now and something like that is a bit more manageable. Or is this kind of stuff my version of your relationship to sports stuff? Mm. Where like you just can't look at stuff objectively. It's just it, it's it, it, it's not about the show. It's about you and your stuff. Yeah, but I don't think that holds up as an analogy because I intensely dislike sport as subject matter whereas most of these shows you would just watch them and enjoy them if they were american no that's it's you have this fundamental aversion to subject i have a fundamental aversion to a certain visual style i don't think these things are similar (laughs) all right listen here's what people will write into us about are these things similar they're not similar i'm not asking you As it turns out, an argument that you're involved in, I'm not asking your opinion on it. Let us know what you think. Jeff is going to fucking cut this out. I challenge you to leave this in and let people decide. Oh, not a challenge. Oh, how can I say no now? Oh, fuck you. You'll be calling me chicken next. Oh, you're such a shit. Don't call me chicken. You're a little dirty shit. (laughs) Oh, Also this week, Dennis O'Donovan thinks we should watch Le Bureau. Le Bureau. Get him inside the bureau. It's French. It's an amazing ride. Best spy drama I've ever seen with enthralling transnational plot lines and fascinating characters. Also, Homecoming. It's a great example of a podcast turned into an excellent TV series. I just wanted to remind everyone that people answer our questions sometimes, so why don't you? Jeff thinks very hard about these clever hooks to give you some stuff. Please write to us. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. This week, Sarah watched The Fall of a Superstar Chef on Discovery+. Plus. I watched Jet Lag the Game on YouTube, and we watched Time, Series 2 on BBC iPlayer. Nash Edgerton likes to watch Brand New Cherry Flavour on Netflix, and is it Nitram or Nitram? I think it's Nitram. Which is available for purchase on Amazon Prime and YouTube. It looks scary and good. I mean, I'm still in St. Maud recovery zone. <laughs> Would you watch it with me? Probably not. Hire a gigolo. <laughs> but there's no funny business. He's just going to watch scary things with you. Listen. And you're not allowed to nestle into his chest either. No, ugh. I find cuddling, like cuddling and hand-holding, honey, I would never want to do that with anyone else. I think you barely want to do it with me. I do. I just, I got my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm sending us out. My <laughs> new note is I've been doing some workouts on the Peloton app, and there is a trainer named Jess. And Jess has a slogan, no ego, amigo. That's one of her catchphrases. No ego, amigo. You've done the hardest thing. <laughs> You've done the hardest part of this workout by showing up today. By showing up to this podcast you did the hardest part of this podcast. <laughs> no ego, amigo. This is going to be my new personality as I send you out until I find a new one. No ego, amigo. Bye.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.